seated, please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's epistle ends with a benediction in which St. Paul says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. St. Paul was in jail when he wrote this, and he wrote to tell people that they shouldn't lose heart over his sufferings because he understood that God was doing greater things in and through them. God was doing more than they were asking or thinking, according to the power that was at work in his life. This is illustrated by our gospel today, as Jesus and his followers come upon this procession to the grave, the widow and her fellow mourners. The widow and her fellow mourners might have, seeing this rabbi, expected him or asked him to do certain things. They might have expected him to join them on the procession to the grave and comfort the mourners. They might have expected Jesus even to provide some benevolent support since the dead son was most likely this widow's only source of material support. But Jesus did exceeding abundantly above all they might have asked or thought. He raised the young man from the dead. There is a gap between what we typically ask for and think about and what God is actually doing in the world. We tend to focus on our current afflictions and challenges. But God is aware, sees the big picture, sees how our current afflictions and challenges are changing us into the image of Christ and actually preparing us for our own resurrection. We are stuck in time, but God sees eternity. Sees that this, as 2 Corinthians says, momentary light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And this is what St. Paul understood, and this is why he was writing to say, don't lose over what I'm going through. Bigger things are happening. We have to adopt the same perspective in order to see the sufferings of our own lives in the right way. It is only by a vision of resurrection, only by an overarching hope, an understanding of where our lives are headed, that we can experience and process our challenges and afflictions things that are preparing us for that ultimate glory. One problem we have in developing this vision is that the Christian hope is usually misunderstood. If you ask the average person, what is the Christian hope? What do you hope for? They will say, I hope for, I think that because I believe in Jesus, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But heaven, what the New Testament describes as the state of the person after death and before resurrection, heaven in this sense is an intermediate state. 
The New Testament describes this intermediate state as being in paradise, with Christ, or, in another place, asleep. This intermediate state is a place of rest, comfort, and expectation. It is not final. It is intermediate. The Christian hope is the hope of resurrection. The belief that Jesus will do to each of us what he did to that young man in the gospel. Except when he raises us, he will give us on that last day immortal, glorious bodies. Whereas this young man, we don't think about this, but the three people Jesus raised in the New Testament had to die again. <laughs> so a few people die two deaths in life. The Christian hope is the hope of resurrection. We say this every week. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. We believe Jesus will come. He will administer justice on this unjust world. He will render to everyone according to what he or she has done. He will renew the creation. As Romans says, the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. And he will raise us from the dead and give us bodies like his resurrection body so that we can live with Christ in God's new creation. This is why the Son of God became man. To redeem the creation. To bring to fruition what God intended in the beginning in Genesis. It was lost, marred, damaged by the fall. It is now redeemed in Christ. And we're saved not to be taken away from here, but to be fulfilled in the creation. And this hope is explained in a number of places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians says, The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 1 Thessalonians says, The Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's voice, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Philippians says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we eagerly wait for the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, according to the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. In the Bible, the very definition of death is the separation of the spirit from the body. Throughout the Bible, you will be told he gave up the spirit, gave up the ghost, which means he died. Therefore, it is necessary for the undoing of death for that process to be reversed. For the spirit to be reunited with the body and the body to be brought back to the fullness of life. And this is what St. Paul gets at in 2 Corinthians 5. Where he says, while we're in this tent, this mortal body, we are, we are burdened. He says, not that we be unclothed, that is, disembodied, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. 
if we have this sort of lesser idea that all we're doing here is hoping that when we die we're going to go to heaven, some spiritual state separate from the creation, disembodied, and then all the images that are so unattractive, clouds, harps, well, it's like harps, it's okay, but... Um, we'll have trouble longing for that place in life. We will ine inevitably, subconsciously but inevitably, see heaven as a consolation prize. We will cling to life in this world, and when we die, we will say, okay, well, we're comforted by the fact that they went to heaven. We'll say they're in a better place, but we won't believe it. Because we want the fullness of life in the body. We want to sit with them, to eat with them, to be with them in the body. It is only when we develop the genuine Christian hope of resurrection, the fulfillment of the creation, and justice. We look at the world, we see all these things going on. Who's going to make that right? That's, what do you think we mean when we say he comes again in glory to judge? Jesus is going to come and make that right. Root out evil from the created order. Root out sin. Renew the creation and raise us. If that's what we're longing for, then we can see how this life now participates in that in a sort of sign and sacramental way. We can long for it. We realize we're going to die, but we long for the resurrection of the body. The real Christian hope is integrally tied to the life we now live. It, it's its fulfillment. It's not its absence. It's not its going away to some place spiritual forever be separated from what we really know. This life for us is to, the, the afflictions of this life are for us to our own resurrection. What the sufferings of Christ's life and his cross were to Easter Day. They are preparatory and intimately connected to that thing. Our afflictions are not the death pains of the world. Our afflictions are the birth pangs of the new creation. We are not marching off to the grave to have our bodies placed in the ground and our spirits to be spirited off to some ethereal place of rest, what Father Schwemmen called the cosmic cemetery. No, the dead will rise. Just as Jesus commanded that young man to come back to life, he will command each of us to come out of the grave. As he said in John 6, 5, 6, the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done the good to the resurrection of life. For God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work in us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.